You're listening to On the Record Online with Eric Schwartzman, where reporters and journalists go on the record about how they use the Internet to cover the news. For the latest trends, tips, and tactics on how the web shapes popular opinion, subscribe to our RSS news feed or visit us online at www.ipressroom.com. Avenue A, Razorfish President Dave Friedman goes on the record online. Online is the first destination for media when they're trying to learn about a company. They almost always go out, obviously, to the website, what they can learn from the different uh, publications, materials about the people that are on the site, but also to some of the uh, different blogs that might be related to a particular industry, to some of the different um, commentators that are available online. Thanks for downloading this episode of On the Record Online with the president of Avenue A Razorfish, Dave Friedman, uh, the largest interactive agency in the world now uh, with humongous clients. And uh, we, uh, we talked extensively about um, how organizations are integrating the web into their marketing communications, their marketing, their advertising, and uh, how the shift in media consumption um, is changing the way people get their news and information. And I think you'll find it interesting. Uh, if it's your first time downloading, uh, that's pretty much what this show is about. And uh, we usually talk to journalists from the mainstream media. Uh, sometimes we talk to bloggers. Sometimes we talk to podcasters. Uh, this time we're talking to a newsmaker. Um, he's the president of Avenue A, Razorfish. And frankly, uh, you know, the interactive agency uh, as that, that that category of agencies is a category that's definitely gaining traction and uh, absorbing a significant amount of the of the client's marketing budget. So if you're uh, a listener that's in advertising or that's in PR, um, it's something you should be aware of. If you're in marketing, you should be aware of it. Uh, you know, there are these new breed of agencies out there. They're called interactive agencies, and they are helping organizations uh, reach their audiences through the Internet. Um, my name is Eric Schwartzman. Uh, I am the uh, founder and chairman of iPressroom Corporation. Um, you know, if you're if you're still wondering what that is, or if it's your first time listening, um, you know, and if you're out there, if you're a marketing person or a PR person at an agency or at a client, uh, you probably know what you need. You're hearing all these terms: blogs, podcasts, RSS, video on demand, audio on demand. You know, how do you? harness it all you know you know what you want you want more search visibility uh you know you want more traffic uh you want more sales but how do you figure out which of the choices to to take advantage of and how do you get the technology to do it um well that's what we do at ipressum we have a methodology for doing that and a set of solutions for achieving it that are integrated into one online platform so you get a username and a login you log in over the internet and you can email market or search engine optimized content or manage content on your site um you can do pretty much all of it so if you want more information on that www.ipressroom.com forward slash visible if you have questions comments or feedback i'd love to hear them uh, send them to Eric at ontherecordpodcast.com. Also, we have a new podcast website uh, at www.ontherecordpodcast.com. Uh, so uh, check it out. Sign the Frapper map. Leave your comments. 
Um, you can do trackbacks. You can uh, you can uh, social bookmark. It's is integrated. Social bookmarking is integrated. Um, so I hope you get a chance to check that out. Also, if you're in the LA area and you're looking for a bit of a boot camp, um, I'm going to be uh, conference chair of this uh, event called the uh, PR Online Convergence 07. It's going to be held at the uh, Universal Hilton. It's being organized by Commune Intelligence. Uh, keynote speaker is myself, Stow Boyd, um, who is obviously you know charged with leading the controversy concerning whether or not uh, there should be social media press releases, and also Jason Kalkanis, uh, the uh, former um, CEO of uh, Weblogs, Inc., who sold his company to AOL and still leads the charge there. Weblogs, Inc. obviously owns Engadget and a number of the other most highest-trafficked blogs. So they're a media company, but their media is blogs. He'll be addressing the, the uh, team as well, or the delegates, I should say. And then we also have a, a great um, SEO uh, panel about how to search engine optimize content, there's online video panel. There's podcasting panel. Um, you can get more information um, at uh, www.ontherecordpodcast.com. In the upper right-hand corner, there's a little uh, tower ad. You can just click on that. That'll take you to the website. Uh, so thanks so much for listening uh, to this preamble. Uh, now we are going to play for you the interview with um, Dave Friedman. It lasts just under 30 minutes, and it comes to you entirely unedited after this. Don't be left behind. Get the latest online PR tools and services from my press room. Powerful, easy to use, available on demand. Extend your sphere of influence online with iPressroom, tools for online media centers, virtual private press rooms, RSS news feeds, podcasts, and more at www.ipressroom.com. iPressroom, always on, even when you're off. Dave Friedman, thanks so much for joining us. Oh, thank you for having me. Tell us, what is it you guys do over there at Razorfish? Well, Avenue A Razorfish is the world's largest interactive agency. So we build uh, advertising campaigns, uh, advertising creative, websites and email programs for some of the world's largest uh, global marketers. Now, there's all this talk about whether or not traditional advertising is broken. The idea that because people have DVRs, they can fast forward through commercials, or because people can get their news immediately online, they're less interested in the newspaper. Um, do you work together with traditional advertising agencies? Do you see yourself as an alternative? Are you, an, are you a way to augment the campaign? I mean, it's, pre it's pretty clear that consumers' uh, consumption of media is changing dramatically. Um, depending on the segment, they spend anywhere between 15 and 30% of their media time online. And advertising hasn't caught up to that. We, uh, as a company, are only a digital agency, so we find ourselves working hand-in-hand -hand with all of the major traditional ad agencies. That One client or another, we've worked with almost every single large ad agency. So you don't we find that... I'm sorry, you don't see yourself competing with the ad agencies. You, you work with them. Yes, we, we view that um, it's a complementary... Uh, business that what the large ad agencies do is very important. You know, TV and TV ads uh, are important today and are going to continue to be important for the foreseeable future. And it's getting what they're doing offline aligned with what we're doing online. It is really what, what creates the power for our clients. And break it down for me just in simple layman's terms to what you're doing. I mean, are you creating content? If so, what kind? Right. So we, uh, we do a couple of things. First of all, we help our, um, our clients create concepts around advertising. 
that sometimes includes uh, a heavy portion of digital and sometimes digital just supports a traditional um, campaign. And then we create the advertising, buy and place the media, um, and then build websites so that once someone clicks through on the media, they come to an experience that extends what's happening to them on what they heard about online on the advertising and actually transitions them into a, an experience. But it's, it's still push. I mean, it's still push-based media? It's not just push-based media. What we find is uh, we do a lot of work creating um, platforms for our clients to communicate with their, um, with their customers. So for some clients, for example, we create uh, gaming platforms that bring customers back two, three, four times a month in order to play games, in order to engage with different things there, and at the same time be exposed to brand messaging um, from the client. We also work a lot with publishers who are trying to recreate their, um, their publications in a way that's more appealing to today's consumer. So beyond creative content, beyond the idea of these game platforms or some campaign that's designed to work as link bait, I mean, are you also uh, getting involved with just building the nuts and bolts of the site, of, of, of a client's website, you know, writing their corporate bios, that type of thing as well? Um, we create uh, the technology that supports a lot of our clients' websites. So we have a lot of clients who are uh, e-commerce businesses and are actually selling things online, whether that's content or um, products. And so we will build all of that out. On some occasions, we actually produce uh, creative or create content for our clients, but typically that's done by the clients themselves. If you look at the, at the overall business, Avenue A, Razorfish, what do you see as the biggest growth area? Yeah, we, the, the biggest growth area uh, we see is in clients that are trying to take a, a holistic view of their digital marketing. So the day where um, digital advertising and digital sites and email were all thought of and search were all thought of as separate things, we're starting to see a lot of our clients try to figure out how to link all of those pieces together all of their interactions with, the, um, with their customers as a way of trying to optimize their spending and make sure they're getting the most out of the dollars they put into digital. How does, does something like that affect how a company is perceived by the media, by the news media? I think it is uh, increasingly online is the first destination for media when they're trying to learn about a company. They almost always go out, obviously, to the website, what they can learn from the different uh, publications, materials about the people that are on the site, but also to some of the uh, different blogs that might be related to a particular industry, to some of the different um, commentators that are available online, and use that as a way of getting sort of a first understanding of a company that they can then use for further uh, discussions with the IR department or with the PR department within an organization. So the hot buzzword of the day is engagement. Everybody wants to engage mm-hmm. their, their consumer, engage audiences, or engage social communities. Um, how do you do that? How do you engage uh, an audience? I think there are really uh, two, two things about that. The first is, uh, for a long time, there's been a perception that you need to bring someone to your site in order to engage them. And what we're seeing increasingly is the value of actually going out to where 
your client already is or where your customer already is and engaging with them there. So if you have a client that's passionate about Second Life, the thought of being able to go to Second Life and engage with that client in in a place where they're excited and interested and engaged, we think has a lot of um, a lot of value, and we're increasingly talking to our clients about freeing up their content and their from their site and letting it live in other places online. But doesn't that conflict with the idea of contextual advertising? The idea of of having the media on your site, where uh, some sort of transaction is just a click away in the horizontal menu bar. I think the contextual advertising is actually increasingly important in this situation because your content needs to be contextual to what that person is doing, for example, in Second Life. It, you, it needs to be relevant to where they are, the experience that they're trying to have in Second Life. So it's contextual at that point. Um, and then the second thing is that it's increasingly possible through technology to take functionality that used to only be able to live on your site and actually take that out and have that live in a banner ad or in a, a small flash application within another site. So we're seeing a lot of people create um, highly interactive banners that allow people to uh, register for more information, that allow people to uh, submit applications for things like a credit card without ever having to leave the experience they're in the middle of to go to, to a third-party site. There is a good deal of research that would support the claim that people trust people like themselves more than they trust the media, more than they trust companies, and more than they trust government, that peers are actually the most credible sources of information. And obviously, you know, the advent and growth of personal publishing has absolutely, you know, given those peers the ability to have influence beyond uh, the punch bowl. Uh, but, my, but my question is, um, if that's the case, do you think that, you know, and, and if you get a client that comes to you and says, hey, you know, we're doing the banner ads, we're doing the conventional display, internet display advertising, we like that. What we want to do is we want to engage these people in a dialogue. We want to uh, become relevant to our target audience. Uh, what do you do then? I think the behavior that you talk about is real, and I think it was back you know, hundreds or thousands of years where we used to take advice on products and services from their neighbors or from friends and family. And what's changed with the digital world is that now the number of people that they can connect with to get information on products and services has grown immensely. And you have consumers taking advice on what products to buy from people that they may never have met and maybe have interacted with for only a few minutes on a, a blog or a discussion board or some sort of social media. So now the ability to get access to a large pool of people is increasingly important. And we are seeing a lot of our clients that are trying to, um, to do that and trying to engage in that conversation. And, and we do recommend that strongly to them. And you know, I think as we've looked at it, there are different flavors of people in that, in that world and a different way that, that ideas grow. And I think you have to realize who you need to reach out first so that the ideas and the engagement that you want to create is expanded across the entire web. So let's say, for example, if I'm a client and I come to you and, and I know that I want to engage uh, my constituency in some sort of ongoing dialogue, how, what, by what methodology do you figure out the mix of new media channels or tactics? Um, I mean, how do you evaluate uh, where the client is and how to get them where they want to go. Uh -huh. I think that one of the um, 
the beautiful things that you can do online is actually track. Um, there are services out there that track all of the blogs and all of the blog information that is discussed about a brand. So you can go out and you can get real information about what people are saying about a brand, where they're saying it, and actually even start to identify some of the thought leaders and some of the influencers and their category and brand. So we start there. We try to get a sense of what, what the brand is all about online. And then we try to reach out for the idea creators, for the people who are influencing others, whether they're, the, whether they're the experts in certain topics that you find on message boards or whether they're just people who like to espouse their own beliefs, but they're the people who create those ideas. We try to reach out for them and engage those people as a way of expanding the ideas into the, into the space. And how? How do you engage them? I think there are, there are a couple of different ways. Um, you can reach out to them with information. Um, we've had clients who have, who have identified these people and brought them together for virtual focus groups to try to interview them and listen to them and understand their perspectives. So I think it begins with listening to them. And then once you've started to listen to them, you can start to share your perspectives and your opinions and begin to have the opportunity to influence them. And, and, and practically speaking, once you're armed with that information, that intelligence, what do you do? I mean, do you have somebody start writing on a blog, commenting on blogs? I mean, what is the actual means by which you engage with that audience or participate in that conversation? Uh, different brands do, do different things. Um, uh, many brands are content to listen and learn and figure out how to use it through traditional media. But we do think there's a lot of value, and we recommend to a lot of our clients that you actually become part of a dialogue. Now, as a company, you have to be very forthright that you are a representative of Company X participating in a discussion or participating in a blog, because otherwise um, people get very upset about that. And that's well, what do you mean? In, Explain. Uh, Explain. What do you mean by that? In terms of people getting upset? Yeah. Um, people, the people online... Um, are willing to accept information from companies, but they don't want to feel like a company is coming into their space and trying to manipulate the discussion by pretending to be a, an independent consumer and actually just espousing the company line. Mm -hmm. So they're willing to accept input from a company, perspectives, thoughts, new facts, but they want to know that that's coming from the company so that they can apply their appropriate filter to that information as they're making choices about how much they should believe it. Give us an example of a successful case study where that, where that happened, where the company was able to successfully enter the, the dialogue and, and not be uh, uh, circumvented by uh, the individuals in the conversation who saw them as, as unwelcome. Because, you know, there's a lot of controversy about whether or not corporations should participate in these social conversations. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so we had a, a client that was a, made a very specific, a medication for a very specific uh, medical condition. And a, uh, in, through tracking of the, the blogs, we were able to identify um, a rumor that was starting about a potential side effect of this uh, medication. So they were able to learn about that problem and that issue. They did the research on their own side, and they were able to engage in the conversation um, to communicate with people what in fact, the side effect was in some uh, uh, things you could do uh, by eating before you take the medication, different things that would uh, alleviate some of that side effect. So the key thing there was that they were bringing new and useful information to the dialogue. They were not there trying to manipulate it. They were trying to help 
the consumer with a problem that the consumer had identified, and they did it in a very upfront way that it was coming from the company and it was intended to be beneficial. So um, the the folks uh, that are that appreciate the the service Dig, which I'm sure you're familiar with, uh-huh. because a front yep. page listing on Dig can crash a server. Um, mm-hmm. They 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 revile the concept of SEO, uh, the concept uh-huh. of gaming what they see as gaming the algorithms. So uh-huh. t- walk tell me what you what is your opinion from an ethical standpoint on um, you know SEO trying to um, improve the search engine visibility of content online uh, for an algorithm, for, for, a, for a computer, versus um, uh, trying to um, uh, contribute to the hive mind of the Internet, this idea of trusting social intelligence to tell us what's most important, as we do on DIG. I mean, do you th- are there ethical considerations that you use when you are considering how to make a client relevant in those two different venues? Yes, a- absolutely. In um, uh, on it, through SEO, I mean, one of the biggest complaints we hear from consumers about using the search engines is, I went there, I entered search term X, and I got back you know three million four hundred seventy-two thousand eight hundred sixty-four um, records, and I have no idea how to s- sort through them. And so we believe there's actually value to taking a website in. Um, tagging in an appropriate way so it ends up in the first couple of pages for consumers that are in fact looking for that site. So we view it as a, uh, a benefit to the consumer to actually have a site that is appropriately tagged so that they can find it when they search. Now we are very strict about not using any um, not unrelated terms in our SEO. So all of our SEO is um, real terms directly related to either the product category, the company, the specific product, some of the features and benefits of that product, um, rather than putting in junk terms that are intended only to raise the visibility in, uh, through SEO. And then tell us now, about the, the, social, the hive mind side. Um, we're, we're big believers in that, and we don't do anything um, ever to manipulate those. We think that ultimately that... Um, opportunity of uh, personal tagging and connection making has a lot of potential as a way of helping people find relevant and um, high quality information online. And uh, we let that um, evolve naturally and organically. And we think that's really the, the best and the right way to make sure that that information really reflects what it, what it claims to, which is sort of the wisdom of the crowd. Do you think uh, that um, it's possible that we might see that type of search um, become more useful than uh, algorithm search? Uh, I believe that, uh, that I think there is a, a high degree of potential for that because um, algorithmic-based search does, is unable to assess the quality of the content. I, it uses proxies for that, but the, um, the social search, I think, is a much higher sort of assessment of quality in, in the assignment of, of links or of, uh, of keywords. So aren't you creating content that you hope will appeal to those audiences? Absolutely. We would, I mean, the intent is to create things that people want. I guess ultimately that 
the goal is to get it tagged so that more people come to it and the more people see it that search the web in that way. But I don't view that as manipulative as much as providing people content that they're interested in and then being rewarded for that by virtue of of people choosing to tag it so others can find it. And when you get into a campaign and you're SEOing the various um, pages that are going to be part of that campaign online, um, walk, walk us through the breadth of content that you are addressing. I, I, we, can, we, yeah, we work with everything from editorial content that might exist uh, in certain news sites uh, all the way through um, gaming, games, for example, which we will do SEO around. People who are looking for a car racing game. We'll try to set up our, our pages so that people can find the car racing games on our sites to certain pieces of video or viral content so that people can find those within the site. Walk us through the news site component. How does that work? The news site? You said editorial um, content. Yes, right. So, um, Several of our clients produce uh, edit, um, this is less for a newspaper, more for a periodical that might come out on a weekly or um, or monthly basis, and where we will um, take the home page of that and some of the subsequent pages that have um, uh, specific content within them and it will, and actually perform SEO against those pages and then those pages are archived for the future so they can be found not just during the time when they're running as the front page of the magazine, but also as archival content that people can hopefully find these search engines for a period of time. When, when you look at SEO as a component of, of what Avenue A Razorfish uh, does for clients, it, do you see that as, as particularly lucrative? I mean, how might you characterize it against the other services that you provide? It, it is a service that we um, build into every site we do. It's a relatively small part of our business as a standalone business because it's really embedded in the way we think about building campaigns and building sites. So all of our people who are developers and as we start to build um, pages, they incorporate a lot of SEO best practices in it all along. You know, a lot of people um, say that one of the challenges with uh, communicating on the web is, you know, you spend all this money building a website, and then six months later, it's out of date. How do you, how do you deal with that? Um, I think that's a real concern, and I think something that people need to think about. And we plan, we don't view building a website as an event. We view it as a process. So a lot of people I know will go out and they'll build a website and say, oh, thank goodness, I don't have to think about that again for three more years. But we view it as building a site that you can, over time, hang new pieces of content off of, new pieces of functionality. And we do believe that that refreshing process is essential to keep people coming back to your site uh, ever again in the future. One of the um, results of the uh, decline in traditional advertising, particularly in the newspaper business, is you know fewer journalists as a result of a shrinking news hole. Um, do you see that uh, affect the amount of uh, the percentage of the of the budget spend, the marketing spend, uh, going to? a shop like yours, an interactive shop versus, uh, you know, a traditional Madison Avenue shop? Um, you know, we think that um, th there's always a place for good content. So we think that 
while there has been some reduction in the number of journalists, that ultimately that is going to, to pick back up because people still are interested in, in high-quality content online. Now, those journalists might be um, bloggers um, as opposed to people sitting in the newsroom at the New York Times or the Wall Street Journal, but they're journalists nonetheless, and I think that kind of information will be created online. And one of the critical things is going to be for those journalists to figure out how to make money on their craft and on the content that they're able to create. And so I see as, as the journalism gets fragmented out to lots of um, smaller journalists working more independently and less necessarily through a big newspaper-based or print-based organization, that there's going to be a lot more opportunities for us to help both those individuals but also our clients figure out how to um, communi- to reach those audiences through those new types of journalists. There's been a fair amount of press coverage and discussion online about a couple of toy makers. One is Webkin's, another is Bellicera. And they've got these mm-hmm. toys that you buy at retail, and then you use them to activate some sort of online account. So it's sort of integrating the web into some sort of a retail distribution strategy. Um, with respect to, you know, man on the street, uh, actually getting product sampling, getting product into the hands of consumers. Do you see uh, any sort of um, uh, maybe, or do you have any thoughts, I should say, just any, any, uh, could, could you think out loud with me on, on how that might work? I mean, do you see that as a growth theory, the idea of, uh, you know, street teams together with an internet component? I think that we're going to see uh, a lot more of those kinds of experiences because a physical product, something that you can distribute through retail can only give a certain type and amount of experience. And what builds relationships between consumers and the, and companies is the quality of the relationship of that, uh, the quality of the experience between the two. So if I can give someone a product that has certain experiential ca- characteristics, you know, a webkins, it's a little animal, but then I can make that experience richer and bigger by virtue of connecting them with something online I've now, as a company, developed a stronger relationship with that customer because I have a relationship that is not an experience that's not only based on a furry animal, but also on all of the digital capabilities. So I think we're going to see a lot more of those kinds of uh, interactions where products drive to web experiences, and then ultimately where the web experience gives uh, people an incentive to go out and get more of the physical product. So you, you see that with webkins where kids will want to go out, they get online, they try it once, and then they want to go out and get another webkins to bring back and to have another type of experience online as well. Every year we have all these conferences about branded entertainment. What is branded entertainment? <laughs> Too often I think people think of branded entertainment taking your 30-second uh, spot and putting it online, but most consumers don't. Don't, I don't think, think of that as branded entertainment. Um, I think that we are going to, there, there's certain types of things. BMW Films was sort of the first example of that, where they sponsored um, entertainment. And I think that that's the form we will see it take over the course of the next few years, which is companies actually um, sponsoring entertainment that's produced and made available online. But what, what's the difference between that and, you know, uh, Procter & Gamble buying ads in, in uh, American Idol and supporting that entertainment on, on broadcast? Mm-hmm. I, think it's, I, I think it's not 
um, frankly, that dissimilar. And you know, Procter and Gamble is a great example because the first soap operas were sponsored by Procter and Gamble, and at the time they sponsored the entire show as opposed to having the um, you know the pods of of commercials like we do today. And I think that in the future we're going to see more of that kind of sponsorship where a, co- a company tries to show prove to its um, consumer that it understands them by virtue of creating um, a- entertainment make, and making it available to them. Now, AT&T has done this through their Blue Room, where they provide entertainment content and music content uh, to consumers under uh, a, a sponsored-by umbrella sponsored by AT&T. And they're a client of yours, right? Yes, they are. So g- give us a, just a little overview case study of that, of that campaign. So um, AT&T is, is making an effort to transform themselves from a simply a, a pipes manufacturer, a pipes delivery of delivery of service to actually a communications and entertainment uh, company so that they're providing not just the pipes to get content into homes, but also the specific content. And so the Blue Room was created as a way for them to start to showcase some of the unique content that uh, they had created. And they have sponsored a number of concert tours. They've sponsored some uh, film efforts. And they make it available through Blue Room as a way of starting to promote it. Now, on top of that, there is a media campaign, an advertising campaign, that runs on a lot of um, related sites, so other music sites and so forth, intended to build awareness around this service. Ultimately, I think it will be available not only um, online, but also on a cell phone, as well as through interactive TV. Uh, the same content available in multiple devices. Is it too soon to say whether or not the campaign's a success, or are you, are you comfortable talking uh, about the results? Uh, transforming a, 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 a company... Uh, uh, impression or brand positioning is a, is a lengthy process. So I don't think it is the campaign has necessarily transformed AT&T's positioning. However, um, the results of the specific campaigns around Blue Room have been successful, and the number of signups and the number of visitors to the site are all well within um, line or above what we had hoped for. Well, if you can't quantify, can you characterize what success looks like specifically? I mean, when you, when you launched this campaign, the Blue Room, you must have mm-hmm. said, hey, I think we're going to be able to achieve X. You know, what, were the, what, what did you anticipate success would look like if you were successful? And then can you characterize what success looks like? Yeah. Um, the success we were looking for was um, related to engagement. So we were looking to bring people to it and ensure that they not only stayed on the site for a certain period of time, so um, upwards of 10 minutes, but also then that they came back to the site multiple times. So what we didn't want was we didn't want people to come to the site, bounce off of it, basically, see it for a minute or two, leave and never come back. We were hoping to capture them when they came to the site, get them hopefully to register and ultimately return. And so we measured against uh, time per site as well as um, uh, repeat visits, and it has met the, all those expectations. Dave, thanks so much for taking the time to do this. I appreciate it. Very good. Thank you for your time. You've been listening to On the Record Online with Eric Schwartzman, where reporters and journalists go on the record about how they use the web to cover the news. For the latest trends, tips, and tactics on how the web impacts corporate reputations, subscribe to our RSS news feed or visit us online at www.ipressroom.com.